0: Romans 2, verse number 6. He that is God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. people have asked about the time I was in Balenin and what people mostly have asked is how did you get there? Uh, There wasn't so many questions about what the place was like or how many people uh, were at the services. It was more how did you get there? And it is an interesting angle on this question and interest that not only is the destination important, but the journey to the destination is also important. Uh, and this was the thing which piqued the interest of people most. How did you get there down to Long Brooklyn, if you really want to know, and then six miles on a, a single track road uh, around the countryside uh, to get to the church in Boleynon. And as we come to this this really important part of Romans this evening, a really interesting part, uh, a part which has been poured over, perhaps by yourself and certainly by commentators, it it is a a passage which looks at the destination, the two and only two destinations that there are, glory, honour, immortality on the one hand, and that other destination of tribulation and anguish. On the other hand, and the apostle here not only focuses on the destination, but he focuses also on the road to those destinations, the road of self-seeking leading to the tribulation and anguish and the other road of doing good leading to the destination of glory, honor and immortality. This section here, verses 6 to 11, is is really compressed and it's meant to be considered uh, together. It's in this literary form. We we thought of a different literary form uh, this morning, the diatribe. This is the the chiasm. Uh, And so what we're to understand is that there is this movement, this pincer movement, if you wish, coming in from the the circumference into the center. Uh, And so verse 6 and 11 go together. They say a similar thing. And then verse 7 and 10, they go together. They address the same issue. And then verse 8 and 9, at the heart of this section, stand together. They're also addressing the same matter. And as we think of these verses, perhaps confusing to us as we just read them straight through, yet yet there is this definite structure here uh, which Enlarges on topics which are mentioned in the first half and they are teased out a little more in the second part. So, the apostle, as we argued this morning, following John's Calvin's analysis of chapters one, two, and three, is looking at a new group in this first half of the second chapter in Romans. He's thought of the Gentiles who have no Bible, who have no church. He will think of the Jews from verse 17, he mentions them specifically by name, but in this part, in between the the wild Gentiles of chapter 1 and the religious Jews of chapter 2 is this other group, the moralists, the good living Ulster people who don't go to church, who don't read their Bible, but who try to be neighborly try to be upright, who will condemn the outrageous sins of our time and society and look back with longing to their youth and a better age and a better society of neighborliness, kindness, honesty, and trustworthiness. And so the apostle here in this second section continues to address what we're calling the moralists, the upright, good-living, neighborly people that surround us here in Newton and Ard certainly they surround me where I live up the Mants road and he is making this argument based in verse 6 and 11 that God will be impartial in the final judgment that he will deal in a righteous way with us all and Paul takes his time to, to set out the two paths and the two destinies. And he argues if you go down one path you will reach one destiny. If you go down the other path you will arrive at a different destiny. And he's addressing the moralist and wants the moralist To consider this and and to weigh his life and his destiny in in the light of these verses. But we're to grasp the the underlying argument of the apostle in this passage. He he is driving to the conclusion in 3.20 that we're, we're all under sin that we're all guilty, that we cannot attain salvation by our own efforts. And so as the apostle looks at this way of doing good and this other way of doing evil, in his argument and in his mind, there is the third way of salvation by the grace and blood Jesus. So we want to think of this section looking first of all at the, the way of goodness and then at the way of guilt and then of course the way of grace. And as we think of our journey and our destiny it's so crucial for us to have that assurance and confidence and light that we're on the right road which will end ...in the right destiny. Think first of all then of the way of goodness. Found in verse 7 and in verse 10. The way of goodness. Uh, And the apostle here is, is setting this out for us. A way of perfect obedience. That our outward actions and that our inner aspirations... ...are in harmony, perfect harmony with God's law. He he describes this way in, in verse number 10. Everyone who does good. Here is this way of goodness which will end in the glory and honor and immortality. By good here, he's not just referring to the way we speak of Granny Brown, that she's a good soul, but it's in the way that Jesus used it when the rich young ruler came to him and said to him, Good master. And Jesus pulls him up on this loose use of the word good and said there's none good but God. Goodness ultimately and supremely can only be ascribed to God. And the goodness spoken of here in verse 10 is a goodness which reflects and mirrors the goodness of God. And so it's not just kindness or neighborliness or trustworthiness which we would ascribe to someone being a good neighbour, but rather it's someone who's perfect, someone who outwardly and inwardly, in mind and heart, conforms to the perfect, holy, upright law of God. He who does good. Not 99%, not 51%, But a hundred percent, he who always, he who only, he who perfectly, she who always does good, they will arrive at the end of that pathway in the glory and the honor and the immortality of the heavenly kingdom. The glory is the immediate presence of God where he dwells. In a special way. The honor is his approval. It was an important word in the Greco-Roman world. uh, That they desired this honor, this approval, this recognition by the emperor, by the state. Uh, And the apostle applies it here to this desire to have honor, to be recognized by Christ seated at the right hand of God. The one who does good is aspiring after that honor and immortality, that resurrection of the body in life and glory and new powers in the new creation of the world beyond death. Here is the one who does good always, only as they find by God. They are seeking this honour and glory and immortality. Those of you who have to sit a driving test know that the pass mark in Northern Ireland for the theory element of the test is 85%. Those of us who are older didn't have such nightmares or high standards to attain unto, few questions out of the, the highway code was all that we had. Can you read that number plate over there? It was a pretty easy test for us, but now it's far more stringent and exacting. But God's requirement here, the doing good referred to here, is not 85%. It's 100 And as we sit in church, as we stand in church... We know we're, we're not on this road. Our best, our religious efforts are defective. Our singing of the Psalms, our, our minds all over the place. Our listening to the sermon, it's selective. Our, our praying, our, our mind wanders. Our loving one another in the church is not as it ought to be. And we know that and we want to love one another more. We know that we are not on this road of doing good completely, fully, endlessly. We cannot attain such a standard. And not only does our own experience confirm that this is not the path that we are on, but God's word asserts that we are not on this path. Chapter three that we will come to asserts that there is none who continually does good. No, not one. So our question then is, what is the path that we are on? And the apostle here, as he addresses the moralist and seeks to get the moralist to, to understand that, that that there is a tremendous question that she and he must answer. They, they are not on this path of perfect obedience. Their conscience assures them of this. So what path then are we on by birth and by nature? And Paul sets out this other path in this chiasm. So here we are at the very core of his linguistic structure in verse 8 and 9. The other path that he sets out is the path of selfish ambition in verse number 8 and 9. Those who are self-seeking. Self is at the very center of their choices and behavior. This is the very essence of sin, isn't it? Eve in the Garden of Eden saw the fruit, that it was attractive, that it was desirable, that it was a fruit to make one wise, she thought. It was all focused on self-benefit, self-advancement. And this is the essence of sin. This other road, it's not doing good, it's not conformity to God's glory, to God's law. It is selfish. Ambition, selfish seeking, not obeying the truth, the truth which we have in nature, the truth which we might have in scripture. There is that disconnect between the truth and our life and obeying unrighteousness. That unrighteousness which the apostle has detailed for us in chapter 1 verses 29 to 31, that list of Twenty-one vices is characteristic of our hearts by birth and by nature. We are not on this way of perfectly doing good. We are on this other way of selfish ambition, of subduing the truth, of pursuing unrighteousness. And again, the apostle sets out the destination. It is not the glory of the honor, the immortality that belongs to those who perfectly do good. This this other road, the only other road that he identifies here is an end which is, is solemn and, and dark. It is God's judgment coming down and he sets out four terms in this description of eternal punishment. Wrath. A word which means to, to boil up Emphasizing the heat, the passion of God's anger. Fury, a, a word which describes the swelling of buds on the trees. About to, to burst and, and come forth. And God's fury in that eternal state will, will burst forth. That fury which has been been held in by his patience and forbearance in time. It will come out after the final judgment, in all its ferocity and fearfulness. Tribulation, referring to the pains and difficulties of this life, will characterize that eternal state. And anguish, that inner experience of the judgment of God, will be felt by those who pursue selfish ambition in this world, in their lives. The Bible summarizes this teaching, doesn't it, in that memorable statement, the wages of sin is death. Those pursuing this, this road, this this route of, of, of subduing the truth, of following on righteousness, of Giving vent to their selfish values and morals. I I choose what I please, I I live as I like, no one dictates to me, no law determines my attitude and my behaviour. The end of that road which Jesus describes as the broad road where people follow their own pursuits and values. It will end with this anguish, with this tribulation, with this fury with this wrath of Almighty God. One of Jesus' parables, the person who arrived in this state desired that a a spirit would, would leave the realm of the damned and would appear to his family to warn them about this place of torment in which he had arrived. And Jesus' reply was that his family did not need some amazing appearance of a demon to startle them, to assure them that there was such a place. But they have the Bible to give them insight into the state of the eternal destiny of those who follow, follow the selfish ambition, the subduing of the truth which every human being has, the, the embracing of unrighteousness which every human being knows God condemns and, and will judge. The Bible is sufficient, and a, a passage like this informs us of that destiny. And so here, the apostle dressing the moralist, sets out these two paths, the way of of perfect conformity to God's law, to do good, to do good constantly, to do good as defined by God. Can you do it? He presses the moralist. Can your neighbor do it? Can your family member do it? And the implied answer is, no, they can't. None of us can do it. Be honest with ourselves, and our thoughts, our words, our deeds. Well, there's this other road then, this road in which we fulfill our selfish ambition, suppress the truth, obey unrighteousness. That's a road which leads to, to the judgment of God at the end. And the apostle is teeing up His argument for what he'll come to in the next chapter. That there is a third way. The way of goodness. The way of guilt. The way of grace. That the God who is just and the God who will show his justice at the end of time and the God who will give to every human being according to their works. If you're good enough, you'll earn heaven. But all of us cannot do that. We are guilty and we will be condemned unless we enter the way of grace. Unless we come by faith and repentance to Jesus Christ who was sent from heaven, who lived that life of perfection and who died on the cross taking our sins upon himself. And the apostle will use in chapter 3 that incredible and rare word in the New Testament but common in the Old Testament, propitiation. That Jesus and his death for our sins has appeased the wrath, the just wrath of this mighty God against us. So that when you and I believe in Jesus, God's wrath against us is turned away and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the incredible thing is that when we enter this way of grace, the receiving of that righteousness with which we'll be able to stand before Almighty God at the last day, we begin to have the mindset of that first way. We begin to have the aspirations and the outlook and the desire of the way of goodness. We begin because of Christ's righteousness. Not because of us doing good perfectly and always, but because of Jesus doing good perfectly and always. And we have Jesus' goodness. We now look forward to the glory and the honor and the immortality. Are we living in that way? By His grace, we have moved from that way of guilt to that way of grace, of dependence alone on Jesus Christ, receiving His righteousness. And our hope, our aspiration, the bent of our life as now to be, seeking glory and honor and immortality. Are we living like that? Does that outlook, does that hope, does that anticipation impact the people? That we are day by day. Glory. Presence of God. Being with God. Being like the Son of God. Singing with a full heart. Loving the church as we really want to. Serving God with no taint of self and pride Found in in any area of it. The glory. We're looking forward to that glory because God is there and we will be like God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The most famous man in the world today is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Why? Is it his smile? Is it his wealth? Is it his fame? Is it his acting? Is it his laugh? The most famous woman in the world today is Ofra Winfrey. Why? Is it her background? Her success? Her interviewing skills? The revelations that she produces? And people would bite her hand off to, to be in their presence. To spend time with them. To converse with them. And here, having received the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are seeking the glory. The glory of the resurrection life. The glory of being in the presence of God. The glory of heaven. And that dimension, that bent on our life, should affect us. That everything about God will be precious to us. That his worship, that his church, that his word, that his ways will be precious to us because this is the new dimension in our life by grace. We are seeking glory where God dwells in his majesty and honour that approval of Jesus Christ those words from his mouth well done good and faithful believer we, we are looking for that honour and, and this should impact the way we live and the choices that we make the car we buy the house we live in the clothes we wear, the way we manage our family. Our main concern should not be what our peers think or our colleagues think or our neighbors think. But we are seeking the honor, the approval, the well done of Jesus Christ, our Savior. His righteousness has been imputed to us We're on the way of grace and we can embrace this hope of the way of goodness through Christ. We're seeking honor. Paul had this mindset, didn't he? He writes to the Corinthians who were very critical of him. Unjustly critical. And he says in chapter 4, it's a small thing with me. That I am judged by you. It's the Lord who will judge. Hold your judgment now he says until the Lord reveals the dark things of our heart. And then our commendation will be from him. Paul was seeking honor the approval of Christ and and this should impact us tomorrow as we sit at our desk as we go to our work as we live in our homes pleasing Jesus more than people and immortality what a dimension that is Do, do you ever think about it the resurrection body does it impact your life As someone looks at you, would they think that you're seeking immortality? The way you look after your body, do you value this mortal body incredibly more than than you would think about your immortal body? Some of us don't value our bodies enough, isn't that right? Our diet, our exercise, it's not what it should be. Other people value it far more than they ought to. But this this dimension of the way of goodness, and our goodness is in Jesus, should impact us that we are seeking immortality. A new book has come out. You might read it, you might not read it. It's entitled The Race to Live Forever. It's about freezing bodies just at the moment of death, uh, with the anticipation of reanimating them, when cures for the illness for the person are discovered. And it is a great interest in individuals, in people, this idea of immortality and, and living forever. And here in Christ, we have this hope, assurance, and this should impact us, the apostles say. We are seeking. Glory, honor, immortality, and it should impact our life here and our life now. Our life here is not forever, but our life there will be. And so we make our choices in the consciousness of our mortality and the shortness of of our time and the uncertainty of our life here we decide, we spend our time, our money our efforts conscious that this life is the mortal one in the hope that the life to come will be characterized by immortality So as we think of the impartial judge who will give to everyone according to their works what way are we on? The way of goodness none of us are there The way of guilt. We're all there by birth, by practice. The way of grace. We're on the way of grace. Faith in Christ, the one who is good. And whose goodness is imputed to us. And if we are, let us seek glory and honor and immortality in this week.